All right, hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be starting right in the very first verse, going for about the first 18 verses there. So grab a copy of God's Word. Go to Luke chapter 2. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, pretty, pretty easy to find if you can get there. Luke chapter 2. And as you're turning there, you know, we, we live in a culture where um, there's this, this deep desire for authenticity. We always have this, this want, this need, this love for, for people to be authentic. And yet, yet it's weird because we also live in a culture where fakeness is everywhere. We have this, this celebrity kind of culture where, where, where you just see those, those perfect people in media, on social media, on TV, in movies. And, and, and because we have a deep desire for authenticity, we, we see the fakeness and we know, man, that's not true. That's not real. I know it's not. We've got this antenna that can, that can kind of spot it. We, we can see what's going on as you're watching TV, as you're seeing movies, as you're, as you're following social media, as you're looking at, at magazine covers and... And we know that, that, that the people we see, that the, and they can't be real because I never bump into those kinds of people at Tim Hortons, ever, ever, right? So they're, they're not real. They're, there's a fakeness about them. And you know, it's here, it's why I love the account of Jesus' birth here in, in the Gospels. There's something that's so raw, that's so real uh, about Christ's birth that we actually can connect with this in a real way. And if you've been tracking with us on this sermon series, you know we've been following through the announcement of Christ's birth and, and there's a realness and a rawness to that, right? We, we started with this older couple who've lived for years desiring, wanting a child, but not able to have a child. It's all they ever wanted, and, and I know there are people in this room, you can relate to that struggle, to that pain, to the realness of that. And, and then we're introduced to a teenage couple, not yet married, but being told, marry this teenage girl, hey, you're going to have a son. It's going to be the savior of the world. And you, you, you can see the rawness and the realness of what are they going to do? How are Joseph and Mary going to walk this out? We also know that, that Mary and Joseph weren't, weren't wealthy, weren't, weren't influencers, weren't had, didn't have everything all together. They, they were a poor couple. How do we know they were poor? It says later on in Luke chapter 2, when they went to the temple, that they had to give an offering. They, they had a choice of a turtle dove or a pigeon, which were the offering choices of those who were poor, who did not have enough to give a different kind of offering than that. It's raw, it's real. This morning, we're going to jump in. We're going to meet these very real people called shepherds. They were raw. They were real. And I, I want us to see this morning that, that, that Jesus breaks into our world in such a real way to a people, to people who are real. And why? Jesus invites us into a real relationship with him. Jesus steps into the rawness and the realness of our world to say, hey, you're not alone. You're not on the outside looking in. That something changes at this moment where, where we're no longer left alone. We're no longer having to live up to this unattainable standard where if I could only live this way and look this way and be like this. And when you start to get this, when you start to understand that, that you get to be welcomed by God as you are and you respond to this good news, something transforms you. That this good news, it changes you. We're gonna see this this morning where these shepherds go from just being shepherds to being completely transformed into worshipers who can't stop telling everybody about what they've seen and heard. 
And here's the thing, if the shepherds were the first to hear this good news of Jesus being born, that, that they were the first to hear the good news of it's finally happened, God says that, that I've come to save, and they're the first to hear it. If, if they're the first to hear it, we can rejoice that no one's outside of the rescue of God. That God's not some far off idea that he gets dirty. God literally gets down in the dirt, in a stable, inside a dirty feeding trough. And he declares the good news to everyone, including, listen, including this morning, these dirty shepherds. And God wants us to know, even in the way he reveals himself to us at Christmas, that there's something unique about it. This doesn't just happen by mistake. God has a plan in all of this to say, hey, listen, I've come the, the way I did to show you that I've come for who I've come for. I've come for everyone, the old, the young, the rich, the poor, the connected, the disconnected, men, women, children, that Jesus comes to save all. You're taking notes this morning. Here's our first point. It's this. Good news is announced to dirty shepherds. Good news announced to dirty shepherds. If you've got your Bibles open, let's just read through it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pick out some verses as we go along. But it starts off in verse 1, and this is such a famous, I mean, if, if you grew up doing Christmas together, maybe, maybe you had the experience where, where your dad or your grandpa or your mom or somebody get out the, the Bible, and before you get to open your presents, you got to read through this story, right? Do you ever have that? Man, I just like always, I mean, I love the Bible, but I hated that, right? As a kid, I'm like, presents, let's go, right? If, if you grew up watching Charlie Brown Christmas, you're going to recognize this, right? This is what Linus quotes, okay? But we can become so used to it because we hear it so much. Let, let, let's see what's really going on here. Verse 1 says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was, Quirinius, Quirinius, I, don't, I hate doing the Christmas story because I can't pronounce that name every time, mess it up. Here we go, keep moving on, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8 says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What's going on here? Listen, angels come to announce to these shepherds what had just happened. 
400 years, the people of Israel have been waiting to hear in silence. The last prophecy had happened, 400 years of silence. But think about these, these angels waiting even longer. I mean, they've been watching this whole thing unfold since the creation of the universe. They saw Adam and Eve being created. They saw Adam and Eve choosing sin over God, saying, no, we want our own way. And they saw the, the whole world, the peace of the world enter into this brokenness. And they would have heard the prophecy that God spoke over Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, where he says, a rescuer's coming. You guys are now chosen sin and you're cursed and the whole universe is cursed because of that choice, but a rescuer is coming. Someone who's gonna come, Genesis 3.15 says, where, where the serpent, Satan, will bruise his heel. He's gonna suffer. But in that suffering, it says he will crush Satan's head. And angels been waiting for this waiting, this, this promised rescue that's going to come. And, and for the longest time now, they're like, when, when, when is this going to happen? Remember, you can read in First Peter, it says that the angels lean in, trying to understand the whole gospel. They're like, man, we don't get this. This is unbelievable what God is doing with people. And they're waiting, when, when? And it's like in that moment in heaven where God says, now, now, it's happening now. Like, okay, let's go. What do we do? Go tell Zechariah that old obscure priest guy? Yeah, go tell him first. Now, now I want you to go to Mary. I want you to tell Mary that she's gonna be the one to deliver the rescuer. And I can imagine the angels saying, Mary who, right? Where's Nazareth again? And then what do we see here in verse eight? In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Hey, hey, angels, go, go tell the shepherds. You, you're not going to Rome, the political center of the universe at that time. You're not going into Jerusalem, the, the religious center. You're going into the backwoods of the backwoods to a group of backwoods, rough and tough shepherd dudes. I mean, if, if you are orchestrating the whole birth of the savior of the world, the king of kings is coming. If you are the PR guy in charge of all of this, if you're the, the one who's supposed to say, hey, I'll take care of it. And, and you wanted to have this campaign to announce the savior of the world being born, the last people you would go to to say, hey, they're gonna be the first ones to go announce this. You would not go to shepherds. As an angel, like, I'd be like, really, really? You don't want to find like, like more influential people we can tell about this? Like, like, like aren't, there, aren't there little blue check marks beside Twitter uh, accounts where you know these are the influencers? Like, should we go tell those people they're the ones who should announce this? Like, like why not the high priest? He was the religious leader of Israel. Why not him? Why not the chief priests and the scribes? They were the, the teachers, the ones who understood the scriptures and read the scriptures. Why not them? Why not the Sadducees, the, the political leaders of, of Israel? Why not the Pharisees? These guys, the Pharisees, they had huge power. They knew the Bible front and back. They were the original Bible thumpers of their day. Like, why not go to them? Why not go to Caesar Augustus? This guy here, why not, why not have him tell? He had all the power of the world. And God's like, no, go, go tell the shepherds. I love it. Luke gives no real description here. There's no names of these shepherds. It's just some random shepherds out in a field outside of Bethlehem. Being a shepherd, you understand something. We, we could kind of make it seem ideal because we read through scripture that Moses was a shepherd and David was a shepherd and Jesus calls himself a shepherd. So you have this idea that maybe being a shepherd's a pretty good gig. It's not. It's, it didn't take any real skill to be a shepherd. There wasn't an apprenticeship program. There's not a, a college or a university class you go to to learn shepherding 101. It was unskilled labor, so it paid next to nothing. 
and you worked outside all the time. You were always outside with dirty, stinky, smelly sheep. And I don't mean they were, they were dirty in a figurative way. When I say that good news was announced to dirty shepherds, I'm talking literally they were dirty shepherds, all right? They worked seven days a week. They, they, they never were able to take the Sabbath off, so they could never go to, to worship. They, could, they couldn't be a part of worship because they were, they, were, they were always working. They couldn't follow the religious rules. They couldn't follow all the added religious rules that the Pharisees would have put on the people. They couldn't do any of those. So, so, so they were looked as outsiders. Man, you guys are filthy. You're dirty. You are socially, economically, religiously, you're completely missing the mark. In fact, Jewish history tells us this, that, that a shepherd wasn't even allowed to give testimony in court because they were believed to be liars. So if you're like, yeah, but I got a shepherd who saw this happen. Yeah, that doesn't count. You can't use a shepherd. They're untrustworthy. History says in the first century, a lot of shepherds would have been ex-cons. They were so far down on the list of people you would expect God to say, let's get the message to these guys. Unless, listen, unless you were paying attention all the way through the prophecies of the Old Testament. Unless you were listening to what God was saying all through scripture leading up to this point, because over and over and over and over again, they would have seen that God had this, this beautiful heart for the lowly, for the bitter, for the broken, for the murderer, for the adulterer, for the wicked, for the lazy. God's like, I want them. I'm going after them. And Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 61 who Christ would be, what he would be all about. In fact, flip over to Luke chapter four, verse 18. Jesus quotes Isaiah, this prophecy given about the coming Messiah. Jesus says, yeah, it was me. Those were my words being spoken through Isaiah. And look what he says. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news. To who? To the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's saying, I've been sent to to the poor, to the lowly, to the humble, to the afflicted. And so when the the Messiah shows up, he's not coming just for the cream of the crop. He's not coming only for the influencers or for the in crowd. He's coming to the poor, to the lowly, to the meek, to the afflicted, to the brokenhearted, to the ones on the outside, the captives, the prisoners, the outcasts. I mean, think about it. Think about even as as Jesus was alive on earth, who did he rub shoulders with the most? He hung out with tax collectors. He, he hung out with nobodies. He hung out with prostitutes and sinners and drunkards. And he hung out with them so much that the elite of the day, the religious and political elite, would actually rebuke Jesus, make fun of Jesus, mock him, saying, you, hung, you hang out with drunks and prostitutes. And she's like, yeah, I know. It's what I came to do. All the prophecies leading to this, a Messiah would come for the broken So he comes to these angels. Look at verse nine. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. Just like the other two times we've covered where an angel appears to Zechariah, an angel appears to Mary. The first words out of the angel's mouth is fear not, don't fear. And these guys were shocked when an angel shows up in the middle of the night. First, first they'd be shocked that anybody would wanna come hang out with them. They're not just shepherds. They're the shepherds who've got the night shift, right? These, these guys are lower than even the regular shepherds. And they're like, who's gonna come out here and see us? Everyone's scared of us. Everybody thinks we're trash, we're dirt. And this angel shows up. That would be shocking. That would be shocking. But also be shocking that an angel would show up and then an angel would bring good news. 
Now, these guys aren't just startled. They're not just a little freaked out. It says here they're filled with fear. Old King James, remember what it said? They were sore afraid, right? Here's what's going on. In the original language in Greek, that, that word fear, it's doubled up there to give it emphasis. That it says, it would really say this, they, they were fearfully filled with fear. That's how scared these guys were. So scared. Now, why? Why are they scared? Here's, here's why I think they were really more than just a little bit scared. It wasn't just that an angel showed up. What's it say? That the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord. Now, what's that? What's the glory of the Lord? It's, it's what emanates from the Lord. It's, it's when God is there in his presence, glory comes out. Glory is there. It's, it's the weightiness of, the, of his manifest presence. It's, it's his holiness. It's his greatness. It's his awesomeness on display. And, and we get a little picture of that, a slice of that, where the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And so you can imagine you're a shepherd and you see the heavens in front of you declaring a slice, a sliver of the glory of the Lord, but then the glory of the Lord even beyond that shows up around them. So strong. They're in fear. Now, if you read about the glory of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, you, you'll, you'll notice something about the glory of the Lord, that, that the glory of the Lord, when, when it shines out, it actually kind of sticks to you a little bit. Like, remember the story of Moses. Moses spends time with God on Mount Sinai, 40 days talking with God, and he comes down off the mountain. And if you remember the story, his face shone. It's like the glory of the Lord absorbed into him. He's now reflecting it out. It shone so much, people are like, man, could you put a veil over that? It's too bright. We can't even look at you. That's 40 days with God. These angels are like 40 millennia with God. How much when they burst out on the scene, how much glory would you have seen? No wonder they were afraid. God's glory, it's that powerful, it's that overwhelming. It explodes into the starry night with this intensity and the, the presence of God's glory. Listen, it didn't bring peace. It didn't bring joy to these guys. It brought fear. It brought fear to them. Why is that? I mean, if you think about it, Adam and Eve in the garden before sin enters the world, Adam and Eve used to just walk around with God, had this peace with God. They could just, just be in his presence and there was a, a peace about it, but then sin enters the world and right away, Adam and Eve now, what do they do? They're, they're no longer at peace with God. They're now scared of God. God comes and says, hey, where are you? And they're hiding. Here's what's going on. You see yourself so much more clearly when the light of God's holiness shines on your life. And we love the darkness. We want to hide from that light. Jesus even says in, in John chapter three, he goes, I'm the light, but, but nobody wants the light. You hate the light. You hide from the light. Why? Because it reveals our sin. When we get closer to God's holiness, we now see ourselves more clearly. And we want to hide. When the glory of God was revealed to Isaiah, he fell down as though dead. When Ezekiel saw God's glory, he fell down like he was dead. When John the disciple John saw Jesus, who was, his, who was his best friend on earth. And when he saw Jesus fully revealed in his glory in Revelation chapter one and two, John says, I fell down like I was dead. Why is that? There's something about God's presence when it's fully experienced. Remember the story where Jesus calms the storm, the disciples in the boat, there's this huge hurricane rolls in. They're scared. The Bible says they were so fearful of the storm, storm scared they were gonna die. And they're just crying out for Jesus to do something. Jesus stands up and he just goes, peace. He basically looks at the hurricane and goes, shh, stop it. 
Hurricane stops, waves stop. And it says there, they were scared of the storm. It says they were filled with great fear of Jesus. It's, they had more fear of Christ. Why? Because they saw in that moment, Jesus, you're more powerful than a hurricane. You're the one who says, shh, and a hurricane stops. When you see the awesomeness and the holiness of God, there is fear. There is a fear about how awesome he is. There is a deep fear because we see our sin and how far we are from God. But the angel right away, right away, I love this, I love this. The angel says right away, don't fear. Don't fear, why? Why not fear? Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we need to get the point of this. You understand, this is the whole point of this story. The main characters in this story are not the shepherds. It's not the angels. This is it. The main point of this, the whole main point of the gospel of Luke, the whole main point of all of scripture is pointing to this. It's pointing to Jesus. Amen. All of the Old Testament pointing to this. And, and not, just, not just pointing to something that might happen, but pointing to a day in history. What day? This day when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. This day planned in all of eternity before the creation of the universe. It says in Colossians 1.16 that for by him, by Christ, all things were created. They were created by him and for him. All of it coming to this, all of the universe created for his appearance. And it happens on this day in history in a, in a place, the city of David. All right, I love it. It's not like long ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's not once upon a time, but no, there was a place in the city of David, the city called Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, they're both from the lineage of King David. They have him way, way back in their family tree. And Caesar Augustus says, I want to tax everybody. So I got to figure out how many people I've got. So I know how many people I'm taxing. So he goes, I want you to all go back to your hometowns. Everybody go back to where you came from and we're going to count you all. And so Mary and Joseph have to take this long journey. You got to remember, Mary's pregnant. It's about 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You would not make this trek. They were walking. You would not make that if you were praying. Other than Caesar says, you got to do it. I love it. Here's what's going on. God is turning the whole wheels of history. God is saying, Caesar, you think you're in control of this? No, I'm using you for what I'm going to accomplish and gets them to Bethlehem. Why? Why? Because in Micah 5.2, it said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 11, though, here's why we have, it's great news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. It's a savior. Hey, shepherds, a savior's coming. You're in fear because you see your sin. You know you're dirty shepherds, but, uh, but Jesus isn't coming to condemn. He's coming to say the rescue is here. He's our savior. Remember that, that, Mary and Joseph were told, hey, call the baby Jesus. Why? It says in Matthew 121, call his name Jesus, for he will save their people, our, their people from their sins. Only God can forgive sins against God. So God himself, God the Son, comes as the Savior. It says the Savior's come. Who is who? Who is Christ the Lord? Christ, just a, a word, comes from Christos, which means the anointed one. The Hebrew word you would use would be Messiah, that the Messiah has come, the anointed one has come, this, this long-predicted, this long-waited-for Messiah. The one who's coming to fulfill all the hopes and the dreams of this awaiting Israel. Who's coming? It's the Messiah is coming. But not just Jesus, he's our Savior. He's the anointed one. It also says here, he's the Lord. 
He's the ruler. He's the sovereign. He's the mighty God, the everlasting father, the Lord of the universe. So from the very beginning, this child being born was not just any child. It was the long-awaited, appointed Messiah, Jesus, the Savior and Lord. The one who would finally save his people from their sins the one who would finally come as the final lamb to end all lamb sacrifices, the thousands of lambs who had been offered up saying, this is the sacrifice to pay for the sin that you've done. Now we have Jesus who's come to say, this is it. I'm the final lamb. 1 John 4, 14 says, we have beheld and bear witness that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Jesus comes to save the world. And and I love this. There's an exclusivity about it and an inclusivity about it. It's, It's exclusive because Jesus, I am the savior. There's not one way. There's not a bunch of ways you can kind of fix yourself up. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. It's exclusive in that. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven by which we are saved. But it's also inclusive because look what it says in verse 10. Fear not for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for who? For all the people. Jesus, the, the savior, the mediator between us and God, he's made salvation available to all the people, to everybody, to anybody, including these dirty shepherds. That's why it's good news. And why is it good news to us? Here's our second point this morning. Second point this morning is I'm a dirty shepherd. It's good news because I'm a dirty shepherd. You you don't have to look really closely to see that something's broken in our world and something's broken in each of us. We all know there's something wrong with the human condition. Everybody knows that there's, there's something off in us. And so what are we doing? We're desperately trying to fix it all the time. I mean, you just go to any bookstore. One of the largest sections in the bookstore is the self-help section. It's because why? The whole world, even people who would say, man, the whole Jesus thing, I'm not so sure about it. The, even those people say, yeah, but something's wrong. Something's broken and we need help to fix it. Now, maybe you're like, I'm not, I don't want to write that down in my notes. I'm not saying I'm a dirty shepherd. Nobody calls me a dirty shepherd. The Bible actually goes one step further. It calls you a dirty sheep, all right? So it's, it's even worse than I'm a dirty shepherd, okay? We're, we're dirty sheep. We're wandering. We're defenseless. We're, we're not real bright. And someone could give me a break. I, I'm smart, man. I, I, I'm pretty powerful. Yeah, for a sheep you are, all right? Now, that's what the Bible calls us. We're, we're these sheep, and the, and the Savior comes, Comes why? Because we're lost, because we are rebellious, because we are sinful, because we always choose to go our own way. And, and, and we know this. Here's the thing. When you finally come to this place, you go, that's who I am. I'm a dirty shepherd. It's so liberating. I mean, how, how exhausting is it to try to be religious, to try to pretend you're so strong? All these external pressures to to be okay despite the fact that we read in the Gospels the good news being proclaimed by these angels, prophesied all through the Old Testament, declared by Jesus. It's a celebration about us not being okay, but God making us okay. God loving us as dirty sheep. I love David. David in Psalm 40, he gets it. David's not a guy who would fake it. David says in Psalm 40, I will never keep quiet about my sins in the great assembly. He's the guy, David, King David, the guy who he walks in here on Sunday morning and you go, hey, how you doing? He goes, oh man, let me tell you. You're like, man, I wish you just said you were fine. I don't really want to hear about all this stuff, right? That'd be David. David goes, let me tell you all the stuff that's going on. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the 
poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy are, growing are, healed are. Those who are so aware of their inadequacies, those who are so aware of their failure, of their uselessness, those who are so aware of how prone they are to wander, those who are so aware of their sin and rebellion and brokenness. And so in the midst of this, you actually have two different ways you can go. You can either choose a way where you say, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to be called a dirty shepherd. And at this path, you could take this path, I would call it the path of the Pharisee. The path of the Pharisee would say this, I got this on my own. Even though you know deep down inside you're missing it. And, and every time you would hear you're a hypocrite or, or, or sin would be pointed out, what would you do? You take this path of Pharisee, what do you do? You try harder, you hide it better, you put on thicker masks and it's so exhausting to live this way. But listen, there's another path you can take. It's the path of the shepherd, I would say. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our third point. The gospel transfor- transforms me into a worshiping shepherd. The gospel transforms me into a worshiping shepherd. Because here's the other path you can take. When somebody could point out in your life, man, you're such a hypocrite, you could say, I know, isn't it crazy that Jesus loves me? How amazing is it that he would pour out forgiveness and grace into my life? I mean, imagine what it, was to be these, what it was to be these shepherds where you're standing, you, you run with haste, you get to the, to the, the manger, you, you see Jesus, the, the Savior who's been born in the world, and you get to stand in the presence of God in that moment. You get to stand, a shepherd, a dirty shepherd gets to stand. I mean, before that, it was Adam and Eve, and that was broken by sin. And from then on, all the way through the history of, of Israel, the only people who get somewhat close to God were the high priest once a year going into the Holy of Holies. And man, you had to go through so many rituals, so many things you had to go through to get even close to this God. And here you are as a shepherd standing in the presence of God now. I mean, how crazy is that? Where you could say, I've seen glory in his forgiveness. I've been changed, so I'm, I'm living in a new way now in response to this forgiveness, in response to this glory of God that's been revealed in his, his grace for me. And I mean, I still blow it. I don't, I don't hit it perfect all the time, but praise his name that he still loves me right now. That's the path you can take. Yeah, but you're a dirty shepherd, I know. And then sin can even be pointed out. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you, you have anger and bitterness. I know. And, and, and because of God's grace, I'm seeking not to walk in anger and bitterness any longer. I'm responding to this grace. But how amazing is Jesus, huh? How beautiful that in the midst of my bitterness and anger that he extends grace and mercy and loves me. That's the path of a shepherd. Yeah, but what about your, what about your, and, and more sin, can you point it out? Yeah, I know, I know about my sin. This, I know about this, but I, I'm in a small group, man. I'm working through God's word. I've got accountability in my life. I'm walking towards purity and holiness and grace. I'm walking towards it. And, and how incredible it is that Jesus loves me right now in the middle of, of, of my sin, in the middle of my anger, in the middle of my lust, in the middle of my bitterness, in the, little, in the middle of my, my, my faithlessness that Jesus steps into that. Listen, this path is not how great I am that Jesus loves me. This path is how great is Jesus. 
I mean, somebody who gets the good news. Listen, you don't even talk. It's not just that you talk about your sin. You can't stop talking about Jesus. That's how you know you're on this path. I love the testimonies of people here who don't fake it. And it's not that they wallow in sin, but instead they see the glory of God. They see the glory of the good news and they say, God is so good. I want more of Jesus. Listen, you need to understand something that that pride and the gospel can never walk hand in hand. So we come to this place of seeing our sin clearly and we see his grace clearly and we walk this out. Listen, not just the first day you came to Christ, the, the day of salvation, but you walk this out every day. You can't be arrogant if you understand the gospel where you recognize, man, I'm a dirty shepherd and God chose to make a good announcement to me. He is so awesome. And what's it do? When you get this, when you understand the the amazing good news of of the gospel, it drives you deeper into the word. You're like, man, I got to get up and get into the word. Not because it's a religious thing I got to do, because I want more of Jesus. Man, I want to pray more. I want to connect in my small group so we can can press into this together. I mean, I want to get to church. Man, I want to worship when I get to church. I want to serve The good news transforms us. The good news transforms you. Why? Because the glory of God shines on you. It shatters all the other things you're trying to build your life on. It shatters your self-image. It blows up those things we hold on to. It blows up those things we say, this is how I know I'm okay. And God steps in with his glory and goes, none of that will hold up the weight of your soul. The gospel creates in us this humility, this gentleness, this graciousness, and it changes you from a sinner pursuing sin to a worshiper pursuing Jesus. You begin to say, God, I need more of your glory. God, I want want you to have the greatest weight in my life. I want want your glory. I I don't want to trust in these faulty foundations any longer. I mean, love how Psalm 3 says, it says, you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. You're my shield. You're my glory, the psalmist says. You're my hope. You're my foundation. And you see it here in verse 15. You see the shepherds get this. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. There's an immediacy going on here. You, you, you can see it in the text there. It's, it's almost like they're not sitting around going, gee, I wonder what we should do. It's like they instantly were already on their way and they're saying, who's gonna stay back and look after the sheep? Because we gotta go. They're, they're already moving. They've been transformed. They're like, we gotta see this. Why? Because they believe the message. It says we have to, we have to go see this, this thing that has happened, that, that word thing. Uh, another word you could say that for that is this reality that's taken place. This is for real. We got to go. They, they hear the good news. They believe the good news. They then responded to the good news. And listen, this is the way of salvation for anyone. You hear this good news. You believe the good news and you respond to the good news. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, that's, that's the answer of where hope comes from, where you can live a life where you go, I mean, I don't need to fear any longer. I'm not on the outside anymore. I can be brought in. Yes, how, how? You hear this good news today. 
you believe this good news that, that God would send his son to die in my place, to pay the penalty for my sin, to take it all away, to be the, the greater glory in my life. And then you respond. You respond and say, I want to follow you, Jesus. Here's all the stuff I used to trust in. I don't trust in this anymore. Here's my sin. It's admitting that you're, you need him and saying, I'm a dirty shepherd, Jesus, I need you. And you walk towards Christ. You respond. Listen, if you're here as a Christ follower, it's the same. Every day we do this. Every day we again hear this good news. We believe it again. Renewed every day. Believe it again. And we respond again. My guess is these shepherds, they run into the small town of Bethlehem, but it's, it's full of people, right? Because there's a census happening. So, so Bethlehem's probably overflowing. It'd be like Muskoka in the summer compared to Muskoka in the winter, right? This place would be jam-packed. And, and they're, they're probably, what are they doing? They're like, hey, a baby's been born. Now, now it's, it's such a, a lot of people there probably. Maybe more than one baby was born that night. So you can imagine the picture of these shepherds going through town. Hey, have you guys heard of a baby being born? And going to door, hey, do you have a baby? And then picture that, though. Your ex-con shepherd, dirty dudes come to your door, hey, you got a baby? Right? That would be kind of freaky, right? But uh, my guess is they, they would come to homes like, yeah, we had a baby. Is it in a manger? No, it's in the bedroom upstairs. Okay, wrong baby. And they keep going, right? And they finally find the sign they're looking for, this baby in a feeding trough wrapped in cloths. Just like the angel had said. And they get there and it says they start talking about it. They're probably like, you, you wouldn't believe what happened. These, these angels appeared. I, I can imagine Mary and Joseph saying, hey, same with us. An angel came to us as well. And, and here is the savior of the world, Jesus, the king. <coughs> these guys are changed. Verse 17. It says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. They are so changed. They're not just talking about it around the manger. They're not just talking about it with, with Mary and Joseph and whoever else was in that place at that night. It says they went out and they, they went away and just started talking. But look at verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They, they just won't stop talking about this. So how are we changed? We're changed, we're transformed into to understanding, to being these worshipers who now get, get, can't believe we get Jesus and our life is now all about Jesus, but we're also transformed this way. We're sent out. We're sent out as these messengers to other dirty shepherds. These guys go out, they're really, really, if you want to say it this way, they're the very first evangelists, the very first Christian evangelists going out to tell people, and here's what, I, here's what I love about being a pastor. And maybe you've experienced this as, experienced this as well. I, I find this, the most excited, the most faithful people in proclaiming this good news and telling everybody about transformation, who it is, typically new believers, right? Why, why? Because the joy runs so high in someone who has just found Jesus. The excitement's so great. The, the enthusiasm is so profound. Why? Because they see the clearest. They're in that spot where they, they fully recognize, here's who I was. This is the direction I was going. Jesus steps in, in his grace, and now I can't believe where I am. Listen, but if you truly understand the good news that's being proclaimed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you've been a, a Christ follower for one day, if you've been a Christ follower for one year, 10 years, 50 years, the joy of the good news should just be as great. 
If not, if you find yourself sort of ho-hum about this, if you find yourself, yeah, I actually don't talk about it that much. I don't tell very many people about it. I'm not like the shepherds here, man. You gotta go back again to the beginning and see again, see the glory of God, the holiness of God, see your sin and see your savior and let it transform you and be sent out. Now, why do we go out with this message? Partly it's an overflow. You can't help but share it. But here's the other thing. Very few people are going to have an angel come to them and tell them the good news. More people are going to have dirty shepherds coming and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Shepherds who've been transformed. Shepherds who have seen the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. And if you have, you've been sent out. Acts 1.8 says that all of us go out as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you've seen the glory of God. Remember what we said? When Moses saw the glory of God, his face shone. If you experience the gospel, it changes you. Like it changed the shepherds. They go from these solitary herdsmen to these outgoing preachers of the gospel, telling everybody who they meet what they'd seen and heard. Just like the disciples who, who drop their nets and become fishers of men. Why? Because they've seen and experienced the glory of God in Christ and it changed them. And listen, the same thing happens to you if you behold God's glory. When you embrace the good news, when you see that, that you've gone from a dirty shepherd to a child of God. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, that just, that just wrecks you, doesn't it? It just, it just blows up all the things. It just, it just breaks up all those things that, that used to inspire, that used to move you. And you go, man, I can't believe it. God saved me. And it, what does it do? It sends you out with this message. It moves you. I mean, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Old preacher dead long ago. He said this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. I can't wait to meet Spurgeon in heaven. This guy seems intense, doesn't he? I love it. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Listen, as the worst team comes up, as we end off this morning, here's my point this morning, it's this. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. If you're an imposter, it's because you're struggling with one of two things that the gospel says about you. You're either on one side struggling to, to grasp this idea that I was a dirty shepherd, or, or you're struggling with this idea that Jesus has saved you and redeemed you and loves you. Because when you get both of those things, if, if we really believe what we say we believe, that, that, that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he was raised again on the third day to conquer sin and death, that he's, he's given us new eternal life, that he's filled us with his spirit, then, then we, man, we owe it to every person in the world who has not heard of this good news. Because it's only good news if you hear it. I heard this story from a, a preacher who said he was on an airplane once and he was talking to the person beside him and and they asked the question, hey, what do you do for a living? And he said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And she leaned in. She goes, well, tell me a bit about that. He starts just sharing the good news with her, starts sharing the gospel. And she asks him, hey, do you really believe this? He goes, of course I believe this. She goes, no, no, no. Like, do you really, really, truly believe what you're talking about? He said, yes, I believe this. 
She says, I don't know if you actually believe this because you've been talking to me. It almost sounds like you're trying to win an argument. Like if, if you really truly believed this, wouldn't your whole life be about this? Wouldn't your whole mission be about sharing with anybody you would come in contact with if you really believed this? So for us this morning, how, how do we apply this? We recognize the fact that we were dead and brought to life. And that today, if you know Christ, you are not alone. You are not on the outside. You have been changed and are being changed from one degree of glory to the next, being changed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. You have been rescued from death to life. And if you have this, how, how could we not speak about this? What's that look like for you? I mean, here, here in a, a new church plant, just, just building this new building, us coming in here, here, here's one thing it means real practically. This building is not so we can have a more comfortable church. If you're coming here going, oh good, I don't have to drive to Bracebridge any longer. I don't have to set up anything. I can just roll in here and worship and it's gonna be so much better, so much nicer than you missing the point. This is built, why? Because we wanna go out from here because we know that there's a world that has not heard this good news. This building's built to be filled up with dirty shepherds. How about this? More dirty shepherds, because we're already doing us in here, all right? That's why we're here. So, so for you, what does this look like? What's it look like in your family? Really think this through. What's it look like in your workplace? What's it look like in your life? You have this message for the world. How, how could we ever huddle up and hide out with a message like this? Let me pray. Lord God, Thank you that you've set us free. Thank you that you've given us hope. Thank you that you've given us life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in the midst of our sin, you step in and say, I love you and I forgive you and I've forgiven that very sin so we can get up again and we can walk. We can worship more loudly, more fully. And we can share with boldness because we have a sureness, a, a certainty of the good news that we've been given, that we're now changed for eternity. And God, would you send us out of here as, as shepherd missionaries? Not people who have it all figured out, but just as dirty as the shepherds are, just going out saying, this is what I've seen and heard. God, I pray in a real practical way, even for the Christmas Eve services we're having, God, would you fill the buildings we have? Would you fill them up with people who need to hear this good news? God, would you send us out to invite, to plead with, to say, you gotta come. God, so that more people can be transformed. And I pray this in Jesus' name, the name that brings us from death to life, the name that changes us. God, would, would we get this this morning? I pray this in Jesus' name.